The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. To get started on the line, we have the independent candidate for Karangamite, Tom Rowe. Good morning. Morning, Mitchell. Great to be back on the program. Hello to all your listeners. Uh, I had the pleasure of some motorsports over the weekend at Phillip Island, and whilst I'm a bit sore and sorry after that experience in some really challenging weather conditions, it was really wonderful to see their tourism markets down there opening up, and as a club, we had their, one of their motels fully booked out. So hopefully that uh, build-up in tourism activity continues to grow through the Geelong region, most particularly through Karangamite. A few people here in the station have commented this morning that it seems very quiet in the city, so I just wonder if maybe people are taking this week off. They've used that time to come out of lockdown and a couple of weeks of planning, and now they've taken leave this week, and it's uh, quiet, because there's not many people around the city this morning. Well, we do need to see people back in the city, of course, whether that's uh, Geelong City or Melbourne City, and there's a lot of uh, hand-waving and agitation to see that happen, including getting our public service uh, back in, in, in our cities. So, look, whilst it's great to see tourism activity up and about and people taking leave and making um, some uh, light of this incredibly dark tunnel we've all had to endure over the last almost, or getting up to almost two years now, um, we do need to see our CBDs back in action again and growing. Yeah, well, that's right. And a couple of times I have been to Melbourne, I have to say it's been quite disappointing how few people there are. It certainly doesn't have that life and soul that it used to have. Whether that will come back, I'm not sure, because it's up to employers, isn't it, to incentivize people to come back and staff have realized that they actually probably want to work from home now. So that is going to be part of the challenge. Well, so look, as a business, we ourselves are encouraging our people to go back into the office. So, yes, you're right, it is substantially led by employers, but it's the bigger employers that I think are being a bit more conservative in the way they're encouraging their people to come back. Still having strictly, I think, masks inside offices, although I think there's some pretty, some pretty loose activity there at the moment and be, people being very practical. But for large organisations, including perhaps the public service, that's still a challenge. It's building, but we need to do a lot more. And I think governments and councils, in the case our council, need to be much more proactive in getting their people back into the CBD. So we love a sort of more flexible work environment and that's creating some additional challenges, including particularly demand for housing in our regional areas as people look at doing both work uh, from home as well as back in their uh, typical or conventional places of work. Um, we just do need to get our central activity areas back uh, back alive again, Mitchell. It's a challenge. And, and the other thing to this is whilst our tourism markets are beginning to re-emerge, um, uh, I think there's a lot of disruption still occurring in our school environments as well, particularly primary schools, but also secondary with the occasional COVID case emerging in these environments. And then schools having to go through a degree of quarantine through you know, first contact. So we've got to try to get through this now as quickly as possible and still normalise not only our business environment, our tourism community, but also uh, our schools, the disruption to our children's lives, just terrible. Now, this is the last time that we'll be speaking this year and uh, it's amazing how quickly the end of year is coming and for some people appearing on the program today, it is the final time for 2021. So it gives us an opportunity to reflect on the year but also to talk about what's happening next year and next year will be a huge year with two elections, presumably first a federal election and then a state election coming up later in the year. So I guess when you look back at 2021, what will you be remembering this year for and in 2022, what are you hoping to do and what do you think is going to happen? 
Well, we just can't ignore the COVID reality as the standout, you know, matter we've all had to endure, uh, both government response to it as well as community. Um, uh, failure by the federal government, most particularly in respect of quarantine and the rollout of the vaccination, and that's had the most profound consequential damage through so much of our community, including fragmentation. So that has to be the number one thing. But of course, we've now seen at last some success on on vaccination rolling out and seeing a dramatic recovery. Uh, so that has to be, to me, the standout, both the trauma uh, as well as we as a community learning to deal with it, coming out of it and, you know, rebuilding our uh, economy. We're starting with uh, elements of business, um, but there's still so much to go. Um, and it has still uh, consequences leading into next year. Um, very interestingly, um, Mitchell, there are all sorts of su- supply constraints emerging in our economy. Employment is just one part of it, particularly skilled employment. And seeing our skilled migration um, pathways completely shut down, we must have them reopened. Uh, otherwise, we're going to see really strong inflationary pressures coming through. We're already seeing that now. There's some anecdotal examples out there where we're seeing 25% to 30% growth in wages. So for a lot of people, this is a really good thing, of course, because there's been wage suppression for so long. So we've had, you know, consequences to COVID, but there are also, interestingly, some some sort of benefits that are coming through for many in our community who have had tremendous outcomes from the fiscal stimulus and also the constraints that have emerged in our employment markets and lack of competition. And so we've just got to get back to renormalising ourselves. And uh, so that will lead in part into, into, I think, a large part of the federal debate of next year. Uh, and obviously, environment is a big part of this as well. And as we come into the latter part of this year and seeing some pretty ordinary outcomes coming out of COP26. Um, just got to reflect on this and look at the weakness in our federal leadership, whether it's the government of the day or the opposition. So much work to do on so many fronts. So COP26, uh, what were you hoping to see out of that and what have we actually seen? Why were you disappointed? Well, I think... We've seen, again, fragmentation between developed nations and less developed nations. And within the developed um, you know, global community, those that are heavily reliant on the fossil fuel industry or just greenhouse gases generally, whether that's fossil fuels or, or, or agriculture, for example, and obviously we're at the top end of that tree, um, uh, being prepared to move and migrate our economies. And as you and I have already discussed when I was going through some of my environmental policies, this is really, really challenging for less developed nations who are still reliant upon fossil fuels and will be reliant on fossil fuels for some time because it's, it's cheap power and they don't have the infrastructure to migrate. For the development nations to try to create room for them to come and re-enter where we were is really, really difficult. And I think too much of the sort of global environmental movement that wants to make a difference, wants to, I think, create a blanket um, uh, set of rules for all of us. And it's just not going to happen. Uh, Australia, the likes of Australia needs to learn to step away from its personal consumption you know, that creates greenhouse gases, whether that's carbon or, or, or uh, methane and the like. But we have to create room for other developing nations now to, 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 to emerge and become stronger. They themselves to be able to afford to introduce uh, lower emissions um, uh, industries and, and economic activity. And of course, the likes of 
you know, India most particularly just can't accept a, a no carbon or, or no, no, no use of coal for their power generation uh, overnight. It takes them a long time. So we've seen a lot of watering down in the final announcements uh, out of COP26. If For those who are looking to see really strong announcements in respect to coal, uh, to see it, no, words moving from phase out to phase down with a lot of pushing from India and no doubt a bit of help from us as well, I think is dis disappointing for so many. But at the same time, we've got to be realistic in this transition and not want create one rule for all and be, I think, a bit more subtle and nuanced the way we go about it. So that's a challenge for all of us and therefore I think disappointing for many. But we've made some progress, I think, but not as rapid as many people would like. Now, in terms of inflation, there's a lot of talk about housing affordability. Uh, it seems like the feelings of inflation that people are reporting right throughout the economy, that's been most acutely felt within housing affordability. And even the rental market, I'm told by real estate agencies, uh, really doing it tough at the moment. What's going on? Well, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, the uh, Urban Development Institute of Australia, the UDIA, they must be talking their Geelong chapter, um, uh, made some announcements and, and issued some research into the market about uh, uh, Geelong basically running out of new land supply over the next two years. Now, as your listeners will be well aware of, we've got the the two big growth areas are, um, that are approved as part of the land settlement strategy in Geelong, but they won't practically come online probably for another two to three years. And there's a window right now, and this has been going on for some time, and this is the thing that I'm particularly upset about, whereby we simply haven't had enough land released to market and we've had rapid escalation of land prices through the Geelong region. Now, if you're sitting on land and want your land price to go up, that's very good news, of course. But that's just not right for affordable housing and creating housing choices for our children. Um, and so this research paper was released three weeks ago. There's a fair bit of hand-waving about it. Um, but the problem is so entrenched now that it's really, really hard to change. And equally, Four Corners did a program two weeks ago. It was labelled Going, Going, Gone, just talking about the, the, the atrocious lack of affordability in these rapid escalating housing markets throughout the country. So whether it's the Geelong region or nationally, whether it's capital city centres or major regional centres, we've seen this explosion of land prices. And from a personal perspective, and as your listeners will be well aware of, I'm heavily involved in the development industry. One of our projects, uh, say, Jen Finesford at, 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 at Finesford, where the, uh, the quarry is and where the big cement silos were, we had land selling there only four years ago uh, for about $570 a square metre. Uh, we're now well over $1,000 a square metre on some of our product. You know, to see 75, 80, 100% growth in the case of four years uh, is great for us as a developer community, but it was never, ever meant to happen. We never envisaged it. And it's just smashing affordability. Um, and the same is applying across all of our uh, uh, economy. But we're just to talk about our regional issues this council, Geelong Council, and it was led by me when I was leading the UDIA in the Geelong area up until the council election in 17, and yes. we were constantly pestering council, saying we've got to get more land to market. There's enormous fragmentation through our existing uh, growth corridors. We can't bring this land to market. You need a task force dedicated to bringing more land to market so we can create competition. And we were just ignored repeatedly. The big problem is that council often, and this is not just Geelong Council, but it's more broadly, 
They look historically, they don't look forward and, and particularly what we've forward sold as a development industry. And we might be selling stuff today that we can't deliver for two years. Indeed, across a number of our projects in, in, that I'm involved in personally, and suppliers to other developers, we've just stopped selling some of our estates because we've forward sold so much. And this journey's been going on for some time. We've reminded and told and explained to council repeatedly and we just get ignored. And now we've got a problem. But this has been years in the making. This is not new news. They may say it's new news. It's not. It all goes back to 16, 17. Um, yes, the council today wasn't there then, but parts of the executive were, and I think we've got a lot of blame shitted, to be shitted home to the executive within council. But then, of course, we see this rhetoric that runs all through our political narrative at the moment, this anti-development, anti-population growth, but at the same time, our markets have been completely obliterated on the affordability front. It's intergenerational theft, Mitchell. It's enormous part of our problem going forward, and I think it goes into also the general political narrative and the policy creation that will emerge next year when we see i think our two major political parties often hunting the older vote because they see it's an uh, an easier vote to mine and policies created around it and therefore lack of bravery in changing the current system the status quo whereas our youth uh in the country, in the nation, all through our regions that get smashed as a consequence. And that's something I want to address through the early part of next year as we begin to fine-tune our policy positions. Do you have a policy position on development, for example, on the Ballerine? Because that does seem to be something that's brought up a lot of early rhetoric, as you've said, but feeding into what you've been talking about house prices, what do you think the Ballerine should look like and how would that help to combat the situation you're describing? This is a discussion that you and I have been having for four to five years, Mitchell. We just the only way to deal with this is to bring more land supply to market. Now the policies from the Liberal and Labor, led by Stephanie Asher and, and Libby Coker in a federal sense, or the likes of Lisa Neville or whoever the Liberal Party puts up at a state side, it's all about anti-development. Uh, because people are so challenged by change and growth because we've underfunded our infrastructure delivery so atrociously. And yet there is still no money today. We've had these incredible rezones and not one cent from these rezones is coming back here, including the greatest rezone of all that regional Victoria will see for years, the one led by Stephanie Asher as part of the, uh, as, as mayor of the city of Greater Geelong and therefore the whole of council in the opening up of 3,000 hectares of residential land. And not one cent from that rezone is coming back to the broader community to fund infrastructure. So therefore the easy politics is just to lash in to be anti-development, anti-growth because people are so challenged by the lack of uh, of infrastructure support and all they see is bad change and no social dividend to all the change that's been going on. So this is the great challenge. So we have to, in my view, get land further released on the Bellarine or through wider Karangamite to create affordability, also to create choice. And of course, the Bellarine is a great attractor of educated, sophisticated, moneyed people. I mean, it's just a reality of life who come into the region, who then create businesses that creates sophisticated employment for our youth. If we just go to the sort of northern or western parts of, of Greater Geelong where our two growth nodes are at the moment, yes, that'll be an attractor of growth and change in there, but it attracts one group, a, a, a particular type of people, because it tends to be of the lower priced product. And we've got to create a broader depth of product offering. And the Bellarine can be an incredibly important part of that, particularly the northern edge. And that's why my plan that you and I have spoken to on many, many occasions speaks about having greater diversity and greater spread of the, uh, of the growth 
um, for the region through not only the north and the west of this region, but also across the east. And we must pivot the city east through the Valerane in order to balance it and hopefully and ideally to get a, century, a second entry into Geelong from Point Lilius to Point Henry. But there's so much um, um, anti-developer, anti-growth politics that both sides will thrust through the federal campaign of next year that is completely clouding, I think, um, the, uh, the narrative and the bravery that's required to change the current direction. Well, thank you for being on the program throughout 2021. Always good to have your contribution. I'm looking forward to speaking in 2022, and it'll be a huge year next year. So thank you very much. Indeed, it it will be a a huge year, Mitchell. Very exciting, but we need to be braver in our political narrative. And regrettably, I just think it's the lowest common denominator that's out there at the moment. So it's it's not a good way, I think, to finish off the year and as we lead into 22. Thank you very much on that note. Uh, Tom Rowe with us there with his thoughts on uh, all of the issues. And, of course, he's the independent candidate running for Karangamite. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11 or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.